Hopefully this morning you got the sermon notes in front of you. Um, originally, I said I'm going to do it for three weeks because I got started a little late today. And I don't mind to start late today because I believe honoring people is a priority. So I wanted to do that. I'm going to start a little late. But if I don't get done today, I will carry this sermon over to next week. We're, we're not in a hurry. Is that all right? Everybody say we're not in a hurry. Uh, so, and then your sermon notes that you have, it is important that you just pay attention to the screens. I will tell you when it's time to write on your sermon thing, so you're not confused. I will say, on your sheet, number one, I'm going to be very, very clear with you, all right? If I don't say that, you just pay attention up here and listen, and then I will tell you when to write. Is that all right? Everybody say amen. And if you've come this morning to hear a sermon about LGBTQ, that's not what I'm doing this morning. I will get there, but I'm laying blocks. I'm opening the scriptures and laying a foundation so that we can get there. Everybody say amen. So we're building some layers so that we can have a firm foundation about this topic and where we're going in this generation. All right? So let's start in, the, let's start in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have. We pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to your word today. Let your word go forth in power. Let it go forth in boldness. And all of God's people said, amen. Uh, Danae, we're praying for you. Uh, echo what the pastor said. We love you and we're praying for you as you mourn the loss of your mama, your grandma there. And she was, your mother raised you. And so we send prayers to you. Amen. You love Sister Danae. Amen. <laughs> Father knows best. You'll see the picture behind me is an American sitcom that aired in 1950s on CBS. The show depicts a conservative American family living in Springfield in the Midwest. The family went to work, excuse me, the father went to work and always knew how to solve his children's problems while the mother stayed home and cared for her children and loved them, and the children respected their parents. The second picture behind me is what we call a sitcom, The Modern Family. The Modern Family is also a sitcom comedy that first aired in America in September 2009. It portrays three blended families living in Los Angeles. One of the families is a homosexual couple with a child, This show also depicts each family unit being so loving and supporting of each other. Now, my friends, the two American sitcoms that I just put on the screens behind us shows us how far our values in America has changed in the last 60 years. It is important for you to know, obviously, that there is no perfect family, right? I mean, you look at Father Knows Best, and it looks as though they are a perfect family. That is a TV show. We all can confess this morning that there is some dysfunction in our lives, and we have some dysfunction even in our family. Father Knows Best isn't a reality. Real families don't always have a dad that provides or a mother that cares And a real family don't always have children that respect their parents. And besides, 1950s 
was only good in America if you was white. So my point is, the traditional biblical values of America that we once held are certainly not the values that we hold today. That is my point. There has been a shift in our values, and there has been a shift in our culture the last 60 to 75 years. I hate to be a bearer of bad news this morning, but leave it to Beaver has left. And Mayberry is a distant memory, and the Waltons have said goodnight. The day has changed, and our culture is changing. The day that we live in is different, and the traditional values that we once held are a thing of the past. And absolute values and absolute truth are no longer absolute. The generation that your grandparents lived in and my grandparents and great-grandparents lived in is not the same generation that you and I are living in as of today. We are approaching a postmodern society. Year at what we are approaching, excuse me, a post-Christian society. Year by year, our culture is becoming more godless and pagan. People are now more confused than they've ever been confused. We are living in absolute chaos and we're at living in absolute confusion. Our definition of marriage, our definition of gender, our definition of identity is now being challenged. We are smarter, but I don't know if we've become any wiser. Our homes are sick, and yet our houses are very are, are strong. We have technology at our fingertips. We have more technology in this generation than any other generation on the planet, and yet our souls are still sick. We have a church on every street corner in America, and somehow Christians are still confused over same-sex marriages, abortion. How in the world are we so confused with so much religion around us? Hatred towards Christianity is growing stronger by the day. If you are a serious Christian, hear me. If you are a serious Christian, you and I are now on the visiting team. We are no longer on the home team. The crowd is not supporting us any longer. And if we make a strike, if we make a score, the crowd's going to boo us. Because we are not on the home team. We are on the visiting team now. Remember what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 59 verse 14? Injustice is everywhere. Justice seems to be far away. Truth is chased out of the court and honesty is shoved aside. My friends, that's exactly where you and I are living in. And as a, as a Christian, how are we to live in a culture that is becoming more secular and pagan as the day progresses? My friends, you and I have to go to the Bible as our source of truth. We have to go to the Bible as our source of authority. The scripture says in Romans 15 verse 4, For everything was written in the past 
was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement they provide, they might give us hope. My friends, the Scriptures were written for our instruction. They were written for our learning. We need to go to the Scriptures to find out what the Scriptures are saying. Now, my friends, I want you to listen to my heart, and I say this with all sincerity and with all honesty. I don't claim to be perfect. I'm not a master teacher. I'm not a master preacher. I'm a student, and I love the Scriptures, and I love God, and I love people. In no way, form, or fashion will I ever participate in hate speech. I will never demean anyone. I will never make anybody feel like they're less than. I'm not in the business of doing that. But at the same time, I also want to be very careful and and tell you the truth. Because the truth is what matters more than our feelings. One day, I will stand before God and I will give an account of what I have said from this stage. And my friends, when it's all said and done, feelings won't matter. It is truth that will matter in the end. So you got to know my heart. My heart is not to demean anyone. I know some of your family members struggle, and I'm not in this to make anyone feel bad, but I do want to be a messenger of the Scriptures. I want to interpret it correctly. I believe we can look at the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures have to say. I believe that the Scriptures is the key. Now, on your paper, the very first thing, the story of Daniel is a perfect example about how you and I can survive and thrive in a secular pagan society. I believe that the book of Daniel is the book that we need to go to to see how we can live in a secular pagan society. The story of Daniel is a perfect example about how you and I can survive and thrive in a secular pagan society. It is in the book of Daniel. Now, let me give you a backdrop of the book of Daniel. I don't want to bore you, but just bear with me and let me tell you what's going on in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is a story in the book of Daniel, and it tells about Daniel and some of his friends. Three of them. And the Bible says that Daniel was a believer in God. He was a believer in God who worshiped God. He was a believer in God who loved God. He was a a God-honoring person. And the Bible says that him as a teenager, the Bible says that he was taking, he was taken into captivity into a foreign environment which was called Babylon. As a teenager, he was taken to Babylon. He was 16 years of age, and the Bible says he stayed in Babylon for 80 or till he was 80 years old. That's a long time. Around his 80s, he died actually in Babylon. He lived his whole life in Babylon. And I want to stop and say this. It is possible to serve God at a young age 
in a secular society. Daniel served God in Babylon, which was a pagan secular society. It was a godless society. And Daniel served God from the age of 16 all the way up into his 80s. And my friends, I want to let you know that you can serve God fully and with all your heart, even in a secular society. Daniel's homeland was Judah, and it was destroyed by the Babylonians. Why was it destroyed? Because of their sin. God allowed the Babylonians to come in and destroy their city because they did not repent of their sin. And the Bible says Daniel and some of his friends were taken from their homeland and brought to Babylon And they were a prisoner of war. They had to live there. They lived in a foreign country. They submitted to a foreign king, ate foreign food, and had to learn a different type of life. They lived in Babylon. He was a prisoner of war. But the story of Daniel tells us that Daniel remained faithful to God, and God blessed him and gave him favor with the king. My friends, if you will serve God faithfully, he will reward you. Can I hear an amen? He will reward you if you serve him faithfully. Daniel had to live in Babylon. He had to learn how to survive and thrive in Babylon. Even though it was humanistic, even though it was pagan and godless and evil and wicked, Daniel learned how to live there. And my friends, Daniel is a perfect example of how you and I can live in a society like ours. Now let me tell you, the city of Babylon where Daniel lived all of his life is pagan. And what, when I say the word pagan, I mean they worship different gods. They were evil. But history tells us and scripture that the city of Babylon was spectacular. The city of Babylon had a great library. It had great architect, great art. It had a hanging garden. It had spectacular buildings. There was great temples to their many gods. In fact, the book of Daniel tells us the king of Babylon erected a statue of himself and wanted the people to worship it. This city, although was very spectacular, Even though the city was very large and spectacular and grand, it was very evil and very wicked, very self-centered. Even the Bible tells us that it was a glorious city. The Bible says in Isaiah 13 verse 9, Isaiah 13 verse 9, it tells us how glorious it was. Babylon, the most glorious of kingdoms, the flower of the Chaldean pride will be devastated like Sodom and Gomorrah when God destroyed them. You see, the prophet said it was one of the most glorious kingdoms. Even though it was a spectacular kingdom, a glorious kingdom, it was a very wicked kingdom. It was a very pagan kingdom. It was a godless kingdom. It was evil and wicked. And Daniel had to live there. Now, it's important to note this because I think it's very important to note is that sometimes when we read the book of Daniel, we think of the fiery furnace and a scary night in the lion's den. But my friends, if that's all you get out of the book of Daniel, 
you have missed the point. Because the point of the book of Daniel is not to be delivered from the fiery furnace or the lion's den. Let me stop and say this. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the only ones that were delivered. The story is not about how God can deliver you. Because only four of them were delivered, everybody else died. Every other believer died. They were the exceptions. They're not the examples. The story of Daniel is not about how God can deliver you from hard times. Because I cannot get up here and tell you that your life will be easy and that there will never be a hard time. There will come times in your life that God won't deliver you, that God won't pull you out, but that God will give you the grace enough to stay and give you the grace enough to walk through Babylon. He may not deliver you from Babylon. He may give you the grace to walk through Babylon. The point is you got to make sure that Babylon don't get in you. Is there anybody in the building that's made up their mind that you're going to be faithful to God in spite of the living conditions of our society? Come on. Is there anybody that will say, I want to be totally devoted to God in spite of Babylon? I may have to live in Babylon, but that doesn't mean Babylon has to live in me. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us the hall of faith. And many great people who loved God and did great exploits for God died horrible deaths. Sometimes God will not deliver you from the fiery furnace. Sometimes God won't deliver you from the lion's den. He will give you the power to walk through it. And sometimes God will not deliver you from Babylon. He will give you the grace to walk through Babylon. I hear people say all the time, I can't wait for the Lord to return because this world is going to hell in a handbasket. Now, my friends, Jesus is coming back, and I can't wait for him to return either. But let us not forget that our mission is not to exit so quickly. Our mission is to live in Babylon so that we can be light and salt to Babylon and tell Babylon that there is still hope beyond the scope of human limitations. We are called to be a city on a hill. We're called to be an army and we're called to be a light to Babylon. I'm telling you, God is going to judge Babylon in the end. But in the meantime, I'm going to grab everybody out of the pit of hell until he returns. Amen. Amen. Uh, Hallelujah. You see, he found a way. Daniel found a way to live for God in a culture that was more wicked than the culture that you and I live in. I promise you, Daniel had it worse, and he found a way to live for God in that culture. He didn't leave Babylon, but Babylon didn't get in him. And Jesus reminds us in John 17, verse 14, Jesus said this, I have given them my word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I don't belong to the world. And I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But keep them safe from the evil one. Did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, I don't want you to leave the world. I want you to be in the world. But I don't want you to be of the world. I want you to be a light to the world. I want you to show people Jesus 
in Babylon. I want you to be a Daniel in Babylon. The next few Sundays, we're going to do a sermon series. Today, I'm going to explore the topic of the spirit of Babylon. If I don't get done today, we'll continue it next week. And then after that, I will deal with the fight for truth. And then lastly, we're going to deal with the, the, the quest or the truth about the LGBT community and how we should respond as a church in Scripture. Again, we're not going to participate in hate speech or demean anyone. We're going to lovingly look at the Scriptures and reveal the truth of the Word of God. Amen. If anybody knows me, they know I love people deeply. Amen. Do you love people deeply? How can we be Daniel in a Babylonian system? You see, Babylon, on your paper, the second thing, Babylon represents an evil system that opposes the kingdom of God. What is Babylon? Babylon represents an evil system that opposes the kingdom of God. Would you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Babylon represents an evil system that opposes the kingdom of God. You see, it's a spirit. And do you realize that even though Daniel lived in a physical city, even though Daniel lived in a city called Babylon, I want to push the envelope and say this. That city that Daniel lived in is gone. The city is demolished. But there is a spirit of the city that still lives on. And it's called the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon still continues to live on. Even though the nation of Babylon has ceased to exist, the spirit is still in the, in, in the world and is continuing to work in the world. The spirit of Babylon has been at work before Daniel and it's been at work after Daniel. In every generation, the spirit has been at work. Although the city, the nation of Babylon is demolished and ceased to exist, it's in modern day Iraq. It's, it, that city no longer exists anymore, but the spirit still exist. And that's what I want to look at for a few moments, the spirit of Babylon. In the book of Revelation, Babylon has a whole lot to do with the end times. Babylon is a spirit that will invade humanity in the end times. Look at what the prophet said, or or the apostle said in Romans 14 verse 8, and another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The great city Because she has made all the nations drink the wrath of her fornications. Do you see that? This spirit of Babylon is coercing the nations of the world to participate in her immorality. The Bible says in Revelation 17 verse 5, And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, the Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abomination of the earth. The spirit has invaded kingdoms. The spirit has invaded nations. It has invaded religions. It has invaded education and families and children. The spirit is now working in the world and in invading governments and nations and religions and churches so that her agenda is met. Now, go back to the scripture. Thank you. Do you see very closely what the scripture says. It refers to Babylon as a woman. 
and on her forehead. If you can go back to the former scripture, it also refers to her as a woman. Revelation 14 verse 8. The Bible says, and an angel followed saying, Babylon has fallen, the great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Notice that anything the devil has, Satan has a counterfeit for. The church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament is referred to as a woman. And the spirit of Babylon is considered, is, is a type of a woman. She's a prostitute. Babylon is referred to as a woman, as a prostitute, and, and that is a counterfeit of the bride of Jesus Christ. There is a movement in the earth called the Spirit of God, the Church of Jesus Christ. It is all those who firmly believe in Jesus and follow the truth of the Scriptures. But there is an opposing force, and that is the Spirit of Babylon, which is pictured as a prostitute. And that prostitute is a counterfeit of the bride of Christ. Because everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit for. The false prophet, the beast, the antichrist, is the false trinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation. Anything that God has, Satan is out to counterfeit it. Listen, my friends, that's what the enemy is doing. The enemy knows that he can't get you with uh, alcohol. He can't get you with premarital sex and porn and immorality. But he can get some of us with false doctrine. He can get some of you by your feelings. That's how you interpret it. That's how you want to live your life. That's how You have erected your feelings as your God. And Satan is enjoying every moment of it because we have forsook the truth of the Scriptures. I am telling you today that the spirit of Babylon was in Nazi Germany. It was in North Korea. It has been in Iran and is still in Iran. It runs the drug cartels and it runs the human trafficking. It is writing the school curriculum for your students from kindergarten to graduate school. It is articulating political platforms and culture narratives in everything from our movie and our TV shows and our sitcoms and the internet that you surface every day and your social media trends. Babylon is infiltrating every social outlet, every social media so that it can get in you and brainwash you so you can follow the spirit of the world. Is there anybody here in this preacher this morning? Daniel is not about what has happened. Daniel is about what always happens. Daniel is living in a pagan society, but yet he refused to bow down to their gods. And God is calling for the church to stand up in this Babylon, in this modern day Babylon, to stand up and say, I refuse to placate to the voices of humanism. I will not bow down to the gods of Babylon. Now the question is, very carefully listen to me. Why did God send the enemy Babylon into Judah, Israel, and destroy their city, their temple, and take them captive. Why would a God do that? Very carefully listen to me. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1, the scripture tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar went in and besieged the city of Jerusalem and took them captive. Now, why did God allow this to happen? And it's very important that we see this. 
I'll tell you the reason why it happened. Because I want you to look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. Look at it one more time. I want you to see, I want you to see King Jehoiakim. Everybody say Jehoiakim. I want you to look at this king here. The king Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. He was the king of God's people. King Jehoiakim, if you look at scripture, this was supposed to be a, I mean, he was supposed to lead God's people in righteousness, but he didn't do it. Matter of fact, the Bible says he did something And because of what he did and the previous sins of the previous generations, it led the people of God into captivity. And this is what he did. Look at it. Jeremiah 36. Very quickly. You don't have to turn there in your physical Bible. It will be behind me. Now, because there is a plethora of scripture, I just want you to see very briefly in some of the scriptures, you can read it when you go home. But I just, for the sake of time, I just want to pinpoint a few things here. Jeremiah chapter 36. If you're there, say I'm there. You see it behind me? I want you to see what, what the king here. Verse number 21, Jeremiah 36 and verse 22. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire burning. And the Bible says that one of the servants came and read three or four of the columns. And the king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire until the scroll was consumed with fire. Huh. There was a king. Who was the king? Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is the king of Judah. A scroll was brought to him. He read, he looked at it, took his knife out, cut the scroll, threw it in the fire. And this is what the Bible says. Go on down to verse number 24. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, nor the king, nor any of his servants who heard, who, who heard the words. King Jehoiakim heard the reading of the scroll, took his knife out and cut it, threw it in the fire. Now, what scroll was it? It was the scroll of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, which you and I would say it's scripture. It is the word of the Lord. The prophet of the Lord sent him a word. And what was the word about? The word was, King Jehoiakim, the Lord is going to judge you because of the sin in your house. And the sin in the nation, he's going to judge you. And the letter was sent twice. Now I want you to look at the second time. The Bible verse says 27. Now after the king burned the scroll and the words of the prophet and the instruction of uh, Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, look at verse 28. Take yet another scroll and write it on the form, write it all of the former words that were, were on the first scroll. Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And you say to him, thus says the Lord, you burn the scroll saying, why have you written in that that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy the land and cause men and beasts cease from here? Therefore says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, he shall have no one to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out of the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him and his family and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. 
but they did not take heed. And what did Jeremiah do? Look at verse 32. Jeremiah, verse 32, took the scroll and threw it in the fire again. My point is this. Babylon is increasing in our society because we have cut the scriptures out of our lives. And that's exactly what King Jehoiakim did. King Jehoiakim took the scroll and cut it up and threw it in the fire and disobeyed the words of the scriptures. My friends, is there anybody in the house listening to pastor? Don't you think that the reason why we are in the mess that we are in is because we have cut the scriptures out of our lives? Is there anybody that can just say, at least amen? Is there anybody that has a desire to know the word anymore? And that's exactly what we have done. We have thrown the Bible out of our homes. We have thrown the Bible out of our churches. We have thrown the Bible out of our government. We have thrown the Bible out of our religion. And we have erected ourselves as King Nebuchadnezzar. And we have worshipped ourselves as gods. And we have disobeyed the scriptures. And we have cut it up like King Jehoiakim and threw it in the fire. My friends, that's why we are in the mess we are in. That's why we are in the mess we're in. So in your paper, next point, Babylon is now increasing in our nation. Because we have cut the scriptures out of our lives. Just like the king of Judah. I'm encouraged. Tammy, would you stand up? Came before, came at connection time, said, Pastor, I just want you to know I just finished the New Testament this morning. And she said, Thank you for encouraging me to read the Bible. Hallelujah. Scott, would you stand up? Scott, stand up. Scott sent me a text the other day and said, Pastor, I just want you to know my life has changed ever since I started listening to the Bible and reading the Bible. And he said, What's really funny is that it just produces a desire to know more of the Word. I'm letting you know, I ask you at the beginning of the year, if you're going to make it in this Babylon society, you've got to get the Bible in you. You've got to get on a Bible reading plan. You, you got an iPhone. Some of you spend hours looking at videos and posting on Facebook. There is absolutely no reason why you can't get the Bible inside of you. If you put junk in you, junk's going to come out. If you put the Bible in you, the word life will come out of you. Nobody is going to fix your marriage. Nobody's going to fix your home. Nobody's going to fix this school system. Nobody's going to fix the government. You have to get in the Bible and you have to be the example. And when you start to cut out the Bible, that's when we have a problem. It's amazing to me that most of us call ourselves Christians, but you fight like the world, you cuss like the world, you drink like the world, you dress like the world, you think like the world. Where is the concept of holiness? Where is the concept that I want to live a holy life? That I want to please God? That God is my everything? God is the one that I serve. The God is the one that I love. God is the one I want to be like. My God, we have a church full of people that get their feelings hurt all the time, all posted on Facebook how they're hurt, how we all like to just have a wound-licking fest and all get together, lick our wounds about how bad America is. It's the same people that wear $200 pair of tennis shoes and want to stand up in a protest and tell everybody how bad America is. 
You live in one of the blessed countries of the world. How dare you say that you're deprived? I don't care whether you like it or not. You didn't vote me in. You ain't going to vote me out. It's the truth. We are raising a generation of pampered, spoiled brats. Wearing $200 shoes and having $100 nails and getting a two-cent man. That's the generation that we live in. Some of you will spend money on your nails and get a new car and go do this and won't give a dime to the church. Shame on you. Your priorities is out. It's all about Nebuchadnezzar. Worship yourself. Worship your job. Worship your accomplishments. It's your money. Let me tell you, nothing you have belongs to you. It belongs to God, and God could take it any day he wants. I'll be nice, Pastor, next week. I really do love you. And I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I really am not. I love you. I deeply love you. I'm the father of this house, and you are my children. And once in a while, we got to come in the living room and have a daddy-daughter-son talk. Characteristics of a Babylon spirit. What is the characteristics? You will see these characteristics in our modern day. Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. Look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. The Bible says this. Daniel chapter 1 verse number 2. Daniel chapter 1 verse number 2. The Bible says that in the third year of the reign, in the reign of King Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar came the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave the king of Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon. What did they do? They took some of the articles and they carried it to the land of Shinar. Shinar, it reminds me of Genesis 11 verse 1. Genesis 11 verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, at the beginning of time, at the tower of Babel, that the whole earth had one language and one speech. Verse number two, and it came to pass that as they journeyed from the east, they found a plain of land called what? And there they dwelt there. What was Shinar? Shinar was the place that the tower of Babel, or Babel, however you want to say it, was built. The tower of Babel was built there. What was the Tower of Babel? They built a high tower to the heavens. And the Bible says that God came down and confronted their languages, confused them. The word Babel means confusion. Now, get this, my friends. The word Babel is also translated Babylon. So Babel is actually Babylon. This is the beginning of the building of the nation and the city of Babylon in the plains of Shinar. And what happened at the plain of Shinar? Look at verse 9. Genesis 11 and verse number 9. The Bible says, therefore, they called the place what? Babel. 
Because the Lord confused their languages of all the earth, from there the Lord scattered them all abroad to the face of the earth. My friends, Shinar is Babel. And Babel is also the same word for Babylon. And what happened there in Genesis 11? The Bible says they tried to build a tower and God came down and confused their languages. So what is the characteristic of Babylon? The characteristic of Babylon is confusion. Number one, in your notes, the very first characteristic is confusion. How many would agree with Pastor Josh that we live in a complete generation of confusion and chaos? There is political confusion, there's moral confusion, there's educational confusion, there's religious confusion, sexual confusion. Now guess what? We're confused over what a woman is. And the other day, yesterday, there is a local, not here, in America, there's a university that is protesting its leadership because the leadership took the tampons out of the men's restroom. We are living in a confused society. I I wish somebody would say amen. Men, biological men, cannot give birth. We are convinced that men can get pregnant and our biological sex is not what we have to identify with. We can identify with what we feel we want. Children can have their private parts mutilated, but they can't vote until they're 18 years of old. Children can become furries. Children can become kitty cats. We are confused over what truth is. What, what church? Does the church like it? Does the church bless it? Does the church condemn it? We're so confused. We have become so delusional in the name of protecting our feelings. The chaos and the confusion is not of God, and the liberal left is pushing their agenda. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. I said, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. In the land of Shinar is Babel. It later become Babylon. It was a place of confusion where God confronted and confused their languages. And we are living in a generation of complete confusion. That is the characteristic of Babylon, complete confusion. Isn't amazing? That in the first two chapters of Genesis, God created the world, man, and the animals. Then in the rest of the scriptures, we see God making order out of chaos. But Satan is making chaos out of the order. That's where we are living. He is making chaos out of the order that God has already established in the world. That is the characteristic of Babylon. I'm going to stop today. I didn't get much, but I've preached and I don't want to give all the hay to the sheep in one Sunday.